Welcome to the Life of Christ series 4 term 1. This is lesson 8. We are going to continue where we left off. Now, we were looking, I believe we left off in John chapter 8 verse 44 where Jesus says, You are of your father the devil. (laughs) Okay? Because the high priests that just would not receive his testimony. And we were looking at Matthew 26 and we were looking at the way in which Jesus combined or unites the titles, the Son of God and the Son of Man, to reveal his mission to the high priest. And again, we said with no success, sadly. But it tells us something, and it shows us something, what God did to restore us, and, and what Jesus Christ was actually doing down here on this earth. Amen? And we really need to understand his mission. You know, again, one, one of the important things that you see in these Gospels is that he wanted more to teach people... Because if you teach people, see you can heal a person and they're healed. But if you teach them, then they can keep their healing. And in time, they can lay hands on the sick and watch people recover. Amen? And so the, the Lord really wanted to bring the knowledge that we had lost. And I believe the knowledge that God was going to give Adam at the beginning, had he not fallen. He would have received a whole lot of instructions, I believe, in time to come. And sadly, we missed all of that. Now we are having to receive those instructions in a fallen situation, in a fallen world, which is very difficult. Like I said before, hard to build a house in a storm. Amen? It is a difficult thing. But you know what? God has, has faith in us, and we need to have faith in God. Alright, so getting back to this. Now, I, I, I quoted this verse in John 8.44... When, where Jesus says that he, talking about the devil, he said he was a murderer from the beginning because this is exactly what the religious leaders are going to do. He, they are going to murder Jesus and it's not going to kill him, they're going to murder him. Murder is the taking of an innocent life. But how sad, especially for the, I've said here, how sad, especially for the people, God had chosen, these are the Pharisees, okay, scribes and Pharisees, through Abraham to represent him. And both identify and gladly receive their Messiah when he arrived. These are the people that he had chosen, okay? And to help and support him, that's the Messiah, with every aspect of ministry. Even his sacrificial death on the cross. So their job was to look after all of those things. Alright, but they didn't do any of those things. And and, and, yeah, anyway, moving on. As I've said in my notes. Regarding the instruction, I know myself. Regarding the instruction, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Leon Morris says, the point being emphasized is that this man who had to be carried to Jesus by four companions was now able to walk back home. This time all by himself. You know, that's a miracle, isn't it? I'm remembering a story by a particular minister that... uh, had this individual that came to a healing meeting and he was in a wheelchair and he'd been in that you know, position for a long time. And uh, he came to his meeting, got healed. And later on, his pastor, I think that, that Sunday, I'm not exactly sure of all the dates and all the details, but uh, so you just get the gist of the story. His pastor was sort of uh, driving past and saw him walking and screeched and jumped out the car. And he said, you're walking! Because <laughs> you know, it was just a huge thing. And he said, yeah. He said, what happened? So he told him. So he went and met this minister and, and spoke to him and said, wow, you know, that was, that was amazing to see this man walking because he's been you know, in our church for the longest time. And see, there's, see the ramp? They had t- so took him to the church at one stage and showed it to him and said, see, this, this, this cement ramp was built just for him. You know, so he could wheel himself up to church. 
And he said, he's walking. <laughs> he said, yes, hallelujah. It's, it's awesome. When you see it in real life, and I can just, you know, can you imagine all the people that this man knew? You know, and, and let's call him Bob, okay? And Bob's walking, you know, like, wow, man, nobody has to carry him. Can you imagine the number of times he had to be carried everywhere? Every party he went to, he'd have to be carried there. Forget about dancing. <laughs> just saying, you know, you know you're just going to lie there until you get carried home. And, and what a change in his life this would have been. Again, this is something that the religious leaders should have been cheering over. Counting it a great blessing and privilege to not only be present at this great event, but also to learn everything they could from him about healing the sick through the forgiveness of sins. Now, I want to bring this out. It was an opportunity for them. This is their Messiah. Instead of them getting mad and angry with him and everything else, what would you do? Wouldn't it the smart thing be... Boy, you know, this guy is doing all this stuff. Forget about my stuff. Let's learn your stuff. I mean, any, any person with just a little bit of intelligence would go in that direction. Amen? I mean, you know, you, you, this is why you go to all these seminars where you go and look at all these people that have made it. And they tell you how they got there. And you know, so on and so forth. And you write down notes. And here he was in their midst. And this wasn't some charlatan. People were being healed. Things were happening. Man, you could see them happening. You know what I'm trying to say? I mean, that was a time for them to go, this is our Messiah. See, one of the things that he did, and this is what the the Gospels are bringing out, and and, and what some of these incidents that are recorded are trying to show us, that the very thing that should have convinced them that He is their Messiah, worked exactly opposite because they did not want to see and they did not want to acknowledge because they did not want to give up their position of power. That's all it was. They had power. They were getting the people's respect, their finances, everything. And they didn't want to lose that. And they were losing that to Him because they were going out in droves. And so they became jealous instead of going, hang on a minute. And can I just say that, you know, it's sad that that happens today in society as well. Let me just address that for a minute. We, you know, that's why we have to be so careful when we look at people making it. We really need to ask the question, A, who's behind it? <laughs> okay? Because, you know, the devil uses the church as well. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, I'm just telling you. Okay? All right? But so does God. Okay, God is doing stuff. And when He is doing stuff properly, things happen. So there are two, two ways that you can become successful in a church. God's way and not God's way. We're seeing it with the Pharisees. There's Jesus doing it God's way. And there's the Pharisees and Sadducees and all of them doing it some other way. Well, we know it's the devil's way because Jesus identifies that. Okay, and we looked at that. You're of your father, the devil. Okay, we can't get any plainer than that. So you can see that there are two ways. You can see one way is... All about giving to the people. And the other way is all about the people giving to it. There it is. Okay? Okay. Alright. So, returning to Mark chapter 2. We see the result of Jesus saying to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. With verse 12 going on to say, Immediately. He arose, or rose up before them. I like the way Luke put that. <laughs> he rose up before them. All the people could see. Because remember, this is, this is a challenge. Remember the challenge? 
Anybody can say your sins are forgiven. But for the guy to actually get up and walk, that's a whole different deal. So Jesus says, you're thinking this? Okay, let's do this. You want proof? I'll give you proof. Okay? So he does his thing. He says, get up and walk. And so, verse 12, I love the word immediately. Get this now, Jesus is on his own. With a crowd that is not pleasant. There's one bunch that's curious, and the other bunch is critical. Okay? Right? I don't think there was one usher there to help him, okay? I don't see them there, man. Anyway, in all of this, he says what he says, in the midst of all this unbelief, and immediately he arose. Now, one of the things that I, you know, when I was looking at this, I began to realize something. We need to start exercising our faith for things to happen immediately when they need to. Do you all, you all understand? Okay? Because what, wherever we set our faith, then that's what we can expect and that's what's going to happen. But if we don't set our faith to that level, then it's never going to happen. I, okay, I know you all got it mentally. I need you to get it in your heart. Okay? I need that to become a reality on the inside of you. I need you to say on the inside of you, you know what, that's something I'm going to aim for. See, this is the fight that we are to fight. The good fight of faith. Not the good fight of, oh, what can I get next? This needs to be that we are growing in faith so that when people need us, when we need to pray, we are instant in season and out. We need to be the people that God can just call on and straight away we're there. Amen? And I'm pushing for that. Okay? I am pushing for us to get to the place and all of you to get to the place because all you have to do is believe. These signs don't follow the fivefold ministry. These signs will follow anyone who believes. And it is God's desire to work through you because you are places I can't be. Let's get, let's get back to this. All right. So immediately he arose. So again, this is for you. Okay? I want you to apply your faith and I want these pictures to, 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 to allow them to just bathe over you. See these things. And don't just see Jesus doing them. You see you laying hands on the sick and watching people recover. Pick on somebody that won't criticize you. That or lay hands on your cat or something. You know, I lay hands on everything. I'm not kidding. You know, you know the amount of money it costs to take your pet to the vet. It's a... Ri- I shouldn't say that. Anyway, there might be vets that come to this church. Anyway, you know, it's a lot of money. Okay, can I just say that? You know, and, and I've had times when this stuff... If you believe, it'll work. Do you understand? It's, it's, a, it's the engine. If you know how to get that engine going, it'll work on anything and everything. Okay, anything sick will recover. Anything sick will recover, by the way. Okay? And so I've laid hands on my little kitties. You know, and then they sort of they look and you think, oh, ho, ho. we either pray or go to the vet. You know, so I pray. And so I lay my little hands, and they're so good, they wait for you to finish praying. You know, I'll put my little hand and I'll pet the little thing and I'll pray over the little thing, and boom, by the end of the day. You know, one minute their eyes are just all shut and can't open and it's all red and horrible and the next, you know, one day later, they're all great. Hallelujah. Okay, well, whatever, man. I'm just saying, whatever it takes. Okay, those things are under my roof. They're under my authority. Get it? So I have a right to lay hands on those little guys and see them healed. Amen. Okay, so do you. All right. 
And so immediately he rose. Let's get through this one verse, can we? Okay. He, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Immediately he arose or rose up before them, took up his bed. It, and Luke says that he had been lying on and went out in the presence of them all. It's making a point. Everybody saw him get up, grab his bed and walk out in the presence of of them all. You're getting this? Alright. To his house. He went back home. <laughs> or to his own house. Uh, glorifying God. I love Luke. He said he glorified God on the way home. See? See what he didn't do? He didn't glorify Jesus. So what's the problem with the Pharisees? Were they... I mean, if he was kneeling before Jesus and saying, Oh, great Messiah. Oh, amazing, wonderful person. Okay, you know, I could get in your crawl a little bit. He didn't do that. He gets up, picks up his bed, goes home glorifying God. Didn't say he gave Jesus an offering? I just want to bring a few things out here. You need to see some of these things because we miss so much. He didn't do anything to thank Jesus, so to speak, in a way that was taking away from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? He received his healing. He went home glorifying God. He knew it was God that healed him. So that when the multitude saw it, they marveled. And all were amazed. And look what they did. And glorified God. Again, can I say... Do you know what's missing there? The Pharisees, the scribes, and whoever was there, the religious leaders, weren't glorifying God. The people were, they weren't. Do you see what's conspicuous by its absence that they didn't? Alright. And they said they glorified God, who had given, listen to this, Matthew says, who had given such power to men and were filled with fear saying we never saw anything like this or as Luke puts it we have seen strange things today (laughs) I love that (laughs) they just saw something I mean something happened man and they're just going wow what did we just see but interesting they're glorifying God but they have seen strange things today Hmm? we've never seen anything like this what does that tell us? Can you imagine the, the, the Pharisees that are sitting there squirming in their chair? We have never seen anything like this. Can I say it in a few different ways? <clears throat> We've been coming to the synagogue for years and we have never... <laughs> are you getting this? That's what the Pharisees are hearing. Because can I say this to you? When you're guilty, you think everybody's talking about you. <laughs> And whatever they do, no matter how innocent it is, you take offense. I'm just saying. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm telling you now. You have received a new revelation today. Notice again Matthew's account of this, which says, Matthew 9, 8. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Now this goes back to Jesus' use of the title, Son of Man. And what they understood it to mean. And why it says here that they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Do you see this now? Okay, they they got a hold of it. 
He said that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, arise, take up your bed and walk. So they're hearing all of those words and they are giving glory to God that has given men such power. Wow. That's why I said, you know, he could have said Son of God and he would have excluded all of them. But he said, Son of Man. He said, I'm here representing you. Amen. Okay, and again, not just any men, but those men and women who would become the children of God through faith in Christ. And why again the Apostle John reveals this exciting truth by saying in 1 John 3.1, this is such a powerful verse, I keep bringing it up because I'm hoping one day you'll get this. Where he says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. This was from love. We're doing the epistle of John, we'll get here. One of these years, but <laughs> take us a little while to get through it, but there is so much, and I want you to get all of what there is in, in those verses. But I want you to notice, he says, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. You see, this isn't just a title. This is all the privileges and the power that goes with it. So to be called a child of God is to be identified as one of the Creator's kids. And so whatever you attribute to Almighty God, then His kids have those attributes. Even if they don't know, it's there. That is, they are a part of that family. Now that's why, I, once again, you know, I, I made mention of this before, but I like the Narnia series, you know. One of the terms that they use when they say, are you the, you know, the sons of Adam? That was very interesting, the way that comes out. C.S. Lewis wrote that? Yeah, yeah it is. Brilliant apologetist. Love him. <laughs> so clever in the way he would say things, you know. But it shows us something. Just as they were sons of Adam, we are sons of God. Get it? Okay. As to the various uh, reactions recorded, okay. William Hendrickson writes All three synoptics, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, report how jubilantly the onlookers reacted to what they had just now witnessed. Mark reports the people's astonishment. Never in all their past experience had they witnessed anything similar. According to Matthew, the crowd was awestruck. Luke relates that amazement gripped everyone. This can also be rendered, all were seized with astonishment. He adds, filled with awe, they were saying, we have seen incredible things today. Common to all three gospel writers is the remark that all the people glorified God. Isn't that interesting? They all wrote it down. Do you know why? They are making a point that everything Jesus did glorified God, not himself. Amen? We need to remember that. You know what? I need to stop. Be careful. That you're not patting yourself on the back. That you're looking for others to pat you on the back. When you do something that is led by God. It, you know, you, you, you look for that almost and you have to be careful that you don't. Amen. You know, some, sometimes... Let me show you how this creeps in. Let me show you how it creeped into my life and how I dealt with it. Uh, confessions of a pastor. <laughs> okay. There was a time when, um, you know... 
<coughs> people would call me up that, you know, you know how sometimes you feel like certain people need to be in church? Can I just get a kind of an amen on that? Okay. And, and no, but they, they're happy going somewhere else. But whenever they get in trouble, they call you. And, you know, in your carnal thinking, did you hear the word carnal? Thank you. In your, <laughs> in your carnal thinking, you're, you're thinking, you know what? That's what you give your tithes and offerings for. Whatever church you go to, that's why you give it, so that when you're in trouble, they pray for you, and they come and look after you, and you do all that stuff. Uh, you know, that's how you think, carnal thinking. Okay? I'll, show, I'll tell you the spiritual one in a minute. Okay? <laughs> and so, okay. And so I, I used to battle with that. I have to be honest with you. Okay? And I want to say to them, why aren't you calling your pastor? One time I said that to the person. I said to them, you know, you should be calling your pastor on this. Oh, yes, but your prayers work. And he's like, well, why don't you come into church then? Yeah. Hello. Yeah. You, know, you know what I'm trying to say? You know, you just get a little bit orky there sometimes. So anyway, that was my carnal thinking. And one day God turned up and he said, I need to talk to you. I said, what about? Because I was actually, you know what? It was a two-way conversation. Because people, you know, people call and I said, you know what, God? I, I have an attitude. And at the same time, he's saying, I need to talk to you. Have you noticed sometimes the two conversations go straight, like go hand in hand? Okay. And I said, you know what? I, I need a revelation on this. You need to help me out with this. How do I look at this? Okay. Because on one hand, I have an obligation to the people that I'm ministering to because everything that takes me away from studying and bringing the word to you guys is a distraction. You guys are, you know, you're, you're giving your tithes and offerings here to receive what you're getting right now. Okay, that's the whole point of, okay, you're coming here. Now, if I'm distracted by everybody calling me up and asking for prayer, that people that don't come to this church, you're going to stand there and go, hang on, pastor, wait, you know, we're giving into this ministry and we're getting nothing from you. Maybe we should go somewhere else. Is all the stuff in my thinking that's happening, carnal? Carnal, okay, all right. I keep saying carnal so you understand this is... I'm not justifying any of this. This is all carnal. So, I, so this is where I'm coming from. Okay. So I'm going to God. And I sort of said, God, see, this is, these are the hardest battles to fight. The ones that you can justify. So I said, to God, I said, God, I think this is wrong. I think I'm thinking wrong. See, first, you've got to admit, first. Otherwise, he can't talk to you. Okay. Because you're too busy defending yourself. So I said, I think this is wrong, God. You just need to talk to me and tell me how to view this. And, 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 you know, so that I can do what I know is right in your sight. He said, well, finally. <laughs> I thought, okay, that's a good start. <laughs> I said, how? And he said, listen, Galatians 6-7. You know, he'd always talk scripture to you. He said, whatever you sow, you'll reap. He said, whenever people call up, he said, understand something. Whatever you do for anyone in the body, you are doing it as unto me. He said, I will reward you. He said, you know, he said, what you must not be thinking is, I'm spending time over here with people that are not coming to church, blah, 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 is not the way you think. He said, you look at it this way. Whenever you get an opportunity to help someone, you help someone. And he said, I will make sure that I keep people off your back that aren't meant to be there. He said, there are things that people will ask of you right now that in time... Whatever you sow, you will reap. And I began to get an insight into that. And he then said to me, he said, how do you ever expect to reap people if you're not first sowing into their life? 
I thought, oh, I never thought about it like that. See, now spiritual thinking is kicking in. He said, you look to me to reward you, not to anybody else. So you know what? That's what I decided to do. Now listen to me. That's what Jesus is doing. Whatever he's doing, he's doing it as unto God. He's not looking for payment. He's not looking for recognition from anyone there. So when they go out glorifying God, that's exactly right. He's happy with that. Do you get it? And we need to be too. We have to be really careful because a lot of churches do this. They advertise their healings. We had this person healed in our church. We had that person healed in our church. And so on and so forth. And you know, because all, and, and then people go, oh, they got healed in that church. Let's all go to that church. So now they're all coming for the wrong reason. To get healed so they can watch TV comfortably. Not so they can get involved in the things of God. So that they can do their stuff without pain. I told you, if you don't do this God's way, it'll go sideways. You'll have a huge church full of babies. Amen. So, once again, common to all three gospel writers is the remark that all the people glorified God. This does not mean that the scornful and fault-fighting scribes suddenly experience a genuine change of heart and mind. That men of this type remained hostile and became more and more hardened is clear from Luke 6-7, Luke 6-11. And it just goes on and on and on. Okay? I have listed those verses down the bottom. Okay, all those verses are there, because all they do is give references, but I'm giving you the actual scriptures, because sometimes you think, what are those things? They are down there, so you can read them. So with regard to fault-finding, religious delegation that was present there that day, Arkent Hughes writes, the real paralytics that day were the Pharisees and scribes. In marked contrast to the four stretcher-bearers, they were just sitting there. When the roof opened, they should have reached up to receive the poor cripple, But instead of love, there was indifference. Instead of faith, there was only criticism. The crowd was ooing and eyeing. The Pharisees and scribes were frowning. In fact, William Hendrickson goes on to say that in heart and mind, the scribes and Pharisees had made an attack on Jesus. It had been a murderous assault, for inwardly they had accused him of speaking blasphemy. And they knew very well that according to the law, the blasphemer must be put to death. But by means of this astounding miracle, Jesus had demonstrated that he was clothed with divine authority and majesty. This being true, he also had the right and power to forgive sins. His victory was therefore complete. Oh, that everyone present would have taken it to heart. To conclude, the commentators of the Full Life Study Bible state that it was never God's intention that people should live with sickness, disease and death. These things are the result of the sinfulness of the human race and the activity of Satan in the world. Consequently, every healing through Christ involves God invading and driving back death and the realm of Satan. That's in perfect harmony with what the Apostle John said in the latter half of 1 John 3.8, and that is, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Amen. Let's have every head bowed. Thank you, Father, for this time in your word.